I want you to hang on to as we walk in our Christian life. God is going to give us victory. The second thing is there's power in corporate obedience. The nation of Israel had to rally together and become one. They had to become a unified body in order for God to do what he was about to do. And so there was this obedience to corporate um, involvement. And then finally, with, with great joy, in the midst of the victory that comes our way, we will see supernatural results if we believe we'll see God do that. So as we consider, first of all, then this promise of victory. In verse 1, we read, Jericho was tightly shut up. No one went out and no one came in. This gives us the idea that this was a fortified city. Now, what do we know about Jericho? Well, there's some differing opinions on Jericho. Um, it was probably about 8.5 to 9 acres of land. That's all it was, a very small chunk of land. Between 1,200 and 3,000 people probably lived there. Um, about 1,200 people lived in the first part of the wall part, and then you're going to see in a minute it was a three-part city. But uh, we think maybe up to 3,000 people were living there. And it's about six square city blocks, if you want to visualize this in your mind. It took up about six square city blocks or about 11 football fields all joined together. So it really wasn't that great uh, size of a town. Um, I don't know. I was trying to do some creative uh, looking at uh, the size of some of our communities around us, like Cape Scotty or Marshall and that sort of thing, but I couldn't figure that out. So we just want to accept that it was a small kind of location. And when we think about the armed army of the Israelites could have been up to 600,000. We wonder why it was such a big deal to go in and take this little location. Well, there was a reason, because of the wall system that they had built. Hannah, if you'd throw up that slide. So this is what it looked like. So down at the bottom, you see where those men are, and I don't have my pointer here today, but down in the right-hand corner, there's the first wall. Then they had built another wall, and then they built a third wall, and this is all on an incline going up. So what does that look like? Just leave it up there. So the second wall that you're looking at there was probably 12 to 15 feet high. The third wall was 6 feet thick and probably about 20 to 25 feet high. So the total height of this tree, uh, tr uh, tiered wall structure was probably about 45 feet, 46 feet maybe a four-story building. And so for them to be able to get into the city was an awesome task to get through those walls. Now, the city, of course, on the other side. And so this was a great monumentous kind of a task that they had to go into. And then keep in mind what the two spies of the, or the 12 spies, the 10 spies of the 12 said in the beginning, they said, this land is scary there are giants in this land. It, you know, we're just not going to be able to conquer it. So there was other things going on there as well. But this was the major obstacle that Israel was going to face as they uh, were preparing. So you could say this was a really fortified city. They were prepared. Hey, do you remember the year 2000 and the scare that we had <coughs> regarding computers? I, I have to confess this. I bought a whole pile of birch wood because I have a burning stove in my basement, and I thought, well, Lord, I trust you, but just in case, <laughs> do you know what? I still have a handful of that birch left to burn. That's how well fortified and stocked up I was for burning wood. I didn't have any food stored, but I had lots of wood. Uh, <laughs> hey, I was going to stay warm, that's for sure. 
Y2K, I think we called it, right? The Y2K scare, yeah. Well, in this case, they're prepared. They know that they're going to get a siege of some kind someday, and they're prepared. So in verse 2 of chapter 6, the Lord says to Joshua, he says, See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands, along with the king and their fighting men. So right off the bat, facing this great obstacle of walls, God says to them, don't let the walls worry you. Don't, don't let the things around you, don't let the circumstances, don't let the, the things that are going to come up and scare you, don't let that be a problem for you because I've given you a promise, I'm going to give you victory. Now, congregation, as, w- as we, and I'm talking me with you, as we are looking for a pastor to come in and shepherd us, and as we're moving in a different direction in terms of we're shepherdless right now, we're holding it together, God is doing a work, we have the same promise as we move forward. God will give us the victory. God will give us the victory. Joshua 5.1, it says, Now when the, all the Amorite kings west of the Jordan and all the Canaanite kings along the coast heard how the Lord had dried up the Jordan before the Israelites until they had crossed over, their hearts sank and they could no longer, and they no longer had the courage to face the Israelites. See, God was already at work in chapter 5 putting fear into the hearts of these people for the nation of Israel. And that's what we want to have, is we want to have this sense that wherever we walk as king kids, God has promised to give us the victory. And if we could see, like in the Lord of the Rings, when you slip on that ring and you kind of get into a different world, if we could see what was going on in the spiritual world around us, many times we would see as we walk forward in the, in the, the death of Christ living in us, scattering because we're like, a, we're like a, a, a hedge board that goes forward to open up. And that's what it's like when we believe that God has given us the victory. Where we go, we see things happening. And that's what I learned in 2016 and 2017 was about the rhythm of God. And if we just believe in the rhythm of God, every single event that comes into our life, every single day is part of His rhythm. And how we respond to it and how we react to it is so, so important. Sometimes we say, oh, God, why are you bringing this into my life? I didn't ask you for this. Why is this happening? And God just looks at us and says, I know more than you do. I see a bigger picture than you do. I know things that you don't know. And we have to trust him, and we have to believe that he will give us the victory. So Jericho was the most threatening city to this new land, and if they could conquer that land, Uh, that city, can you imagine the excitement that would be in the nation of Israel? If they could conquer Jericho, what would that do as they move forward into the next phase of their life? So God has promised us the victory, but there are lots of obstacles that come our way in the midst of victory. But if we could see God take us through those obstacles, just think about the energy, the spiritual energy that it gives us as we move forward in different ways and new ways. It just makes sense to me. And so in in verse 2 then, um, we see that they're beginning now to get a plan from God about what to do. Now, let's be honest here. Let's think about this. Marching around a city seven times, six days, and then seven times on the seventh day, that's probably not something that Joshua, the great military strategist, came up with. Amen? Amen? He's going to try and figure out how can we climb that wall? How can we? God had a different plan. And you see, when God promises us the victory, 
we have to remember it may be different than what we thought it would be. There may be a solution that we haven't thought of. And remember last week how we talked about paradigm shifts and how we had to come out of our box and ask the question, if we could do it, how would we do it? Same thing here, only God was telling them how to do it. He was doing the paradigm shift for them. And so they were to do this for six days. Now, so what do we have here? Well, we have, um, we have uh, the, some soldiers, then the priests, and then some soldiers. And I'm, I'm actually honest with you, I'm confused about this, and I've got to do some more research. I, I couldn't find anywhere whether the nation of Israel, the people themselves, were also marching around. It seems to allude that, to that, but I couldn't really find anything concrete in my own thinking that said it was more than just the soldiers and the priests. So let's just assume it could have been. So we've got this small location of nine acres. It's quite plausible to march around nine acres of land six times a day. Would you agree? Yeah, it's quite possible. And now, how many people did that? That's maybe the question. But the fact is, they did it. And the reason they were doing it is because they had faith and they believed that God was going to give them victory. You know, there's a verse in the New Testament that just blows my mind. It says this, it says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I gave my life to the Lord at the age of 19 through a Gideon's Bible. And I can remember my dad um, wanting to hear my story because there was such a radical change in my life, and he saw it. And I can remember we were talking about getting something done, and I said, oh, I can do that. I can do anything in Christ. Because I was so excited about this new faith in the Lord. And he just looked at me and he said, that's very arrogant. And I said, oh, yeah, yeah I, I didn't mean it that way, Dad. I, you know, I meant that with God's strength, I can do it. Now, he was AA, and he was sober for 32 years. He understood the higher power and the strength. And once I clarified that, things were better. But that was his first reaction. Well, that's kind of arrogant. And, you know, that's how sometimes the world sees us, when we have faith and we say, we can do this because God has promised us. They say, well, that's kind of arrogant. Well, it may be arrogant, but it's biblical. And it's true. First, uh, First Corinthians 5, 57, 57 says, But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through Christ Jesus. First John 5, 4, For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. One more. First Chronicles 29, 11, Yes, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty Indeed, everything that is in the heavens and the earth, yours is the dominion, O Lord, and you exalt yourself as head over all. And so in Romans 8, 37, it sums it up, says, but in all things we overwhelmingly conquer through him. There's the power, you see, in what was happening in this text with Joshua as we look back from New Testament days. Now, the other thing that was important here is they had the priests involved. So spiritual leadership was really, really important in this nation's world. And they had the Ark of the Covenant, which is, really shows God is with his people. That's what the Ark was representing. God is here. The God of Israel is here. So when the nation, uh, or the city of Jericho, when the people saw the Ark of the Covenant, they knew something big's going down here today or whenever, right? And uh, that was what was important there. So let's bring this down and make it palatable for us today. What walls are you facing in your life today? What obstacles have just all of a sudden jumped into your world? You didn't plan it. You didn't ask for it. You were on a good track, and all of a sudden now there's some walls in your life. There's some obstacles in your life. What are you going to do about it? 
Are you going to sulk? Are you going to say, God, why are you doing this to me? I didn't ask for this. I haven't been good. I've been done. Or are you just going to say, thank you, Father, because through this I'm going to see your great strength. You know, the Apostle Paul had something pop into his life in the New Testament. He called it a thorn in the flesh. And God said to him when he had asked him three times to take it away, God said to him, Paul, I haven't taken it away because my strength is manifested in your weakness. And sometimes God allows us to have obstacles in our life because he wants to mature us. He wants to strengthen us. He wants us to drop to the knee and follow him with all our heart, our mind, and our soul. And not the world. And not ourselves. And not money. And not other things. He wants us to follow him. And he's the one that's fighting the battle on our behalf. So, you know, I'm a therapist, uh, and, and I work with people, and I have all kinds of methodologies and strategies that I can use to try and help people move forward in their life. I help them with their thought life. I help them with behavior modification. I help them in their spiritual life. But I want to tell you something. The greatest success I've ever seen in my own life and dealing with my own problem is when I walk the Christ that lives in me. When I let him take my life, and when I let him walk through me, I see the victory, I see the success. And that's at the heart of what we talk about. So God has promised victory, but in order sometimes for victory to come, there has to be complete obedience, and that's not only individual obedience, it has to be corporate obedience. And that's where we're going to go next. Notice verse 6 and 7. It says, So Joshua, son of Nun, he called the priests and said to them, Take up the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, make seven priests carry the trumpets in front of it, and he ordered the people, Advance. March around the city with the armed guard going ahead and the ark of the Lord there as well. And so here's the principle. People have to be committed to a task in order for it to come to fruition. And I guess that's really the heartfelt passion that I think our pastor left with us is that we need to be motivated as a corporate body if we're going to accomplish what God wants to accomplish. You know... I, I love Lloydminster. We've been here for, oh, I don't know, 20, 27 years, something like that, 28 years. I've lost track. And I really love the city, and I like being here, and I'm very proud to be part of Lloydminster. But I want to tell you something. Over all these years, one thing I've really noticed about this city is it's very fragmented. Everybody's doing their own thing. Agencies are doing their own thing. There's no working together, so to speak. I'm, I'm speaking in a quite a general term here. You know, it's where you try and get a group of things together that would help resources, etc., etc. But everybody's sort of on their own little island. It seems like our churches are on their own little islands, doing their own little thing. And the kingdom of God seems to get lost in their own little world. Can you imagine what would happen if, if as a city, all of a sudden, we became like a 2-1-1 system where you just call 2-1-1 and everything that you need is in that one location? Wouldn't that be exciting? Wouldn't that be great? What about the churches in our city? Wouldn't that be great if we could just all get on the same page and it didn't matter what church you went to, we had the same vision, we had the same goals, we're trying to accomplish the same thing. That would be so exciting. Here's what I found through almost, uh, you know, this is almost 40 years now I've been a Christian and 30-some uh, years in pastoral ministry experience, is that there's a Pareto principle at work in every organization. Not just the church, but every organization. Now, Pareto principle is a leadership principle. And it basically says that 2080... 20% do 80% of the work. 20% give 80% of the funding. And I guarantee you, if you slow down and you sociologically look at this and look at groups and find out how it's being supported, you will see that this is almost dead on. 
20% are doing what needs to be done so that they can have success. So that's not to browbeat you. That's just to ask you, what would it look like if we reversed that trend in our church? What would it look like if 80% did 100% of the work? <laughs> that doesn't make mathematical sense, but that's okay. I'm not a mathematician. So this is what was happening. They were joining together. Again, they had the potential warfare of 600,000 soldiers. How many were actually involved? I don't know. But can you imagine this group of people all of a sudden stepping out and marching around? And th the only thing they could do was blow the trumpets. No talking, silence, except for the trumpets. When I was in college, we did a little thing on a Friday night. We had what we called a missions night. And we were always focusing on some country of the world. And, and you, know, you had to go. It was compulsory. Well, this one night, they did something very creative. They wanted us to experience what it would be like to be a Christian in a closed country. And at that particular time, this would have been about 1979, 1980, Russia was fairly closed to the gospel, to spiritual things. So they had the Russian theme that particular night. And we all met in the, in the large gymnasium. There's probably about 100 of us. We met in the, well, more actually, I think, but we met in the gymnasium, and then we were instructed that we were about to go into a place where the gospel was not appreciated, and we had to be absolutely silent. We could not talk, or the whole group would be arrested. And so we marched from the campus through a park, down some streets. We were going to a location that they had predetermined, and it was quite a walk. It was in the evening. It was nice out, but we couldn't talk. And when we got there, we were ready to start uh, having a service when all of a sudden the KJB broke in. And I mean, we had a drama uh, school, a part of our college, so I mean, they were dressed to the hilt and they played it well, right? And they came in and they arrested the professors and some of the students and took them away from us. And in fact, it kind of got a little out of hand. They played their role so well that one of the professors was dragged off a bench and hit his head on the floor, so they had to take care of that professor. His classes were better after. <laughs> but I learned something there. I learned that God works in mysterious ways. Another uh, video clip that I saw was uh, the China cry. If you get a chance to watch that, watch it. And they showed a house church in China where they were singing hymns together but they couldn't talk out loud, they couldn't sing out loud, they were singing in silence. And there's this picture that's just burned into my brain, I can't get rid of it, of a little old Chinese lady, just with joy all over her face, sitting there with her eyes closed and tears coming down, if I think about it, and she was clapping like this. Not a sound. It was her and God. It was her and God. So this whole experience of silence must have been awfully powerful as they were just being quiet because God was going to do something big. Now I want to just take a little bit of a journey here for a second. This is not in my text. But you know what I've learned about my God? I really see my God at work when I zip the lip and when I slow down and when I'm quiet. And when I just listen, and I just listen, 
and you can hear his voice through nature, through the word, in many, many different ways. So anyway, let's move on here. Here's what God says in Isaiah 55 through the prophet Isaiah. He says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, and my ways are not your ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and your thoughts, mine, are higher. We've got to drill that into our brain. And here's what they were seeing. God was going to do something. He gave them a promise of victory. He gave them a call to corporate obedience. And now they were going to see the supernatural results by being obedient to him. Joshua 6, again, in this account, the people obeyed. They committed to Joshua. They committed to his individual commitment. And the soldiers moved forward and they were about to take the city. So building up was this walking around this wall. And then finally on that seventh day, they did it seven times, blowing the trumpets. And then Joshua says to the people, and here's where I think maybe the whole group was there, shout for the Lord has given us victory. And when they shouted, the wall crumbled. Now you're sitting here today and you're saying, well, the, the Bible is sure full of good stories, isn't it? Great stories to tell the grandkids. And, but we just don't want to take that too serious because, I mean, that's kind of crazy noise knocking down some walls. Well, hey, listen, I did some research. And it's very interesting that the human ear cannot detect a pitch above 10,000 or 20,000 vibrations per second. But the ultrasonic waves have a frequency of over a million per second. So it's, it's something beyond us something we can't see, we can't hear. But when these ultrasonic waves go forth through water, they actually can make the water look phosphorus. So something is happening, right? There's a, a laboratory called Weil Laboratories, and it's a leader in providing testing, research, and engineering services to the industry and government in the field of aerospace and defense and nuclear uh, warfare, etc. They did some unique tests to see if sound could really do what the Bible said it would do. The company tested, uh, this company tested the Mars rover um, to see if it could survive lengthy and bumpy travels through the solar system. And so, you know, they're respected and a, a well-respected company. And uh, it's one of the, the world's largest technology testing companies. So here's what they did, and I'll quote. To do that, we had a brick wall constructed and put into... Wiley Acoustic Test Chamber. It was then bombarded with powerful sound energy so we could see whether the wall would come down. Much of the Bible has, or much, as much as the Bible said the walls of Jericho came down. The wall structure was brought into an enclosed test chamber placed near the corner of the floor and an accelerometer was mounted at the top of the monitor uh, to monitor the response of the wall. He says, when they did this, and I'll just cut through all of their uh, scientific stuff here, he said, um, this is pretty scientific. I hope you can understand this. I'll, I'll try and make it the best I can. The wall came down. The wall came down. And they also did some experiments with the human body. What would this sort of sound do to the human body? Here's what they found in their research. Changes in the respiratory system. Gagging sensations. Headaches. Coughing visual distortion and post-exposure uh, fatigue. And subsequent research has determined that the frequencies can actually make your eyeballs vibrate and cause distortion to your vision. 
Now we say, oh, come on, really? Well, hey, listen, September the 15th, 2017, at least five Canadian diplomats and their families were bombarded with some sort of a sound technology in Cuba that made them all sick and had to leave work for many days. You see, there's something about this that's very accurate, and it can be done. But hey, do we need science to tell us that if we believe the Bible? The scriptures say it happened. I just want to believe it. It happened. The walls came down. It doesn't take away what God did if it was natural phenomena, does it? Think about that for a moment. How many things in the Bible has God done that could be natural phenomena? He used it. He uses his own creation. When fire and brimstone came down from the heavens on Sodom and Gomorrah, is it possible that it was just part of the heavenly stuff that came into the atmosphere? I think so. So God doesn't need us to understand. He just needs us to recognize that he's behind it. And here's what we saw, uh, read in Hebrews 11, which is looking back upon this passage in Joshua. It says, by faith the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. So tell me back, how did the walls come down? By faith. Doesn't matter what sound does, they just came down because people believed God was going to do it, and they came down, right? 1 John 5, 4 says, For whatever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. And so on and so on and so on. So God has promised us the victory. We need to be obedient as a corporate body. We're going to see supernatural results. It's going to come our way. Get ready for it. Be prepared. God's going to do some big things in our midst. I believe that with all my heart. Do you? We've got to trust him. What time is it? Okay, I got two minutes. Point number four, just to make our former pastor happy. In the midst of all of this, there are some things we just will not understand about what God is doing. Cognitively, we just won't understand it. Emotionally, we just won't understand it. And we've got to come to the place where we just accept it and move forward. What am I talking about here? Well, we can't run by this without really making comment. In that one verse where it said that they were to, as they moved into Jericho, utterly destroy every living thing. And we say, how can a God of mercy do that? What about those little ones in Jericho that weren't invested in anything? It was the adults. What about those little ones? They, they died. And God kept the gold and the silver and put it into his, his special dwelling place? What kind of a God is that? We can't escape those kind of questions. Here's how I look at this. And, and this is just my opinion, people. Uh, I could be totally off base and you can do what you want to do. Just don't hurt me. That's all I ask. Um, but I look at it this way. Throughout the scriptures, God has given us examples of what we deserve if we are not following and living for him. He shows us what we deserve. But because of what Christ did for us, we are saved from what we deserve. In this case, it's like going to a surgeon, and the surgeon had to remove a mass, and he had to cut you open, he had to hurt you, he had to see blood flow in order that he could cut out that mass that would cause death if not cut out. And what God was seeing to the nation of Israel, they were so prone 
to get captivated by the by the culture that would lead them away from the Father. And many times God had to use a surgeon's scalpel to bring them out. And many times we see things happen that we just don't understand. We see innocence. But in see, in God's eyes, because He sees the larger picture, we can't understand that. It, it, it's like this. I want to tell you a little story. And then I'll close. There, there's a singer that I really enjoy his music. Very well thought and out. Uh, Steve, what's his name? Steve Bell. Um, Steve tells this story one time uh, of a vision that God gave him. And in this vision, he was in this location. It was seemed to him like it was heaven. And he was sitting on God's knee. And God took on this persona of a, an old man with a large white beard and white hair. No, he wasn't Santa Claus. He was God. And, and he said he was sitting on his knees and he was just listening there as a little child and people were coming to God and they were bringing their requests to God and they were telling God about all the things that were going wrong in their life. And he was listening and one woman came up in particular and she was crying about her son. Something was going on in her son's life and God appeared like he wasn't doing anything. And she was crying and she was talking to God and he never said anything to her. And finally she just walked away. And he said it so moved him inside that he, he got mad at God. And he said to God, he said, what kind of a God are you? This poor woman's pouring out her heart and you didn't do anything. You didn't say anything. You didn't do anything to help her. And he said in this vision, God all of a sudden had a great big large tear come down his cheek. And he said to him, my child, he said, if you only knew, if you only could know what I know, if you could only see what I see. That's kind of how I view texts like this. I believe that there are times, and there's going to be seven more major times where God cleans house in the book of Joshua. These are times that we don't understand, we don't have answers for them, and it's okay to ask God why. God is not offended when we cry out to him and say, why? But we have to let go and say, God, I may not get an answer. I may not know. Because your ways are higher than my ways and your thoughts are higher than my thoughts. Anywho, it just needs more thinking, more analysis in your own personal life. Hopefully I've stirred up some things and we'll dig deeper. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this congregation whose heart has been so open to hearing what you want to say to them in this time of transition. Thank you for Pastor Heath and Heather as they're here today, and we just pray that our love would embrace them again afresh today. And even though they're not in our midst anymore, we still know that we love them, and they're welcome here anytime, Father, and, and uh, this is part of their home too. And so give them a good day today with fellowship and friends here and reconnecting. And uh, Lord, as we go forth now into this world that we live in, we truly do need a touch from you. We truly do need you to empower us, to trust you, to have faith, to believe that you're going to do great and wonderful things. Father, may we be people who represent your kingdom honorably. May we go forth and give evidence of our faith and evidence of our belief in a victorious God and evidence in that no matter what comes our way, Father, you will do your work. And so we will join together as a whole congregation this morning and we'll say amen together. Amen. May it be done, Lord.
Let's stand and close together.